You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Welcome to another Economy Matters podcast. I'm Charles Davidson, staff writer with Economy Matters, the Atlanta Fed's digital magazine. And I'm visiting today with Brian Bailey. Brian is a subject matter expert, as we say here at the Atlanta Fed, on uh, commercial real estate. And Brian works in what's called the Risk and Resiliency Unit of our Supervision, Regulation, and Credit Division. So, Brian, thanks uh, thanks for your time today. Appreciate you being here. Charles, I appreciate the invitation. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, Brian, commercial real estate, always a fascinating and uh, important topic. But um, to start with, I wanted to just ask a couple of sort of baseline-type questions. And first off, can you define what we mean here at the Atlanta Fed by commercial real estate and commercial real estate loans? Because sometimes that can, uh, you know, can get a little fuzzy. Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of different types of loans uh, uh, in the field today, but but you know, really, I'm going to kind of define those via the regulation uh, and regulation driven primarily from SR 071. And basically, it says you know a commercial real estate loan, and I'll paraphrase: it includes land development, includes multifamily and includes the highly technical term non-farm, non-residential, which basically means, you know, a structure for lease, whether it's a strip center or an industrial building or an office building. So nothing that's owner-occupied. Okay, okay. Let's say uh, a developer wants to develop a subdivision, put in the streets, put the pipes in the ground and so on, bank lends the money for that, even though that's going to be residential real estate constructed there, that that's considered a commercial real estate loan, It falls correct? under land development and construction. Absolutely. That is correct. Okay. All right. Well, one more sort of baseline setting historical question here. I wanted to ask you with uh, what role did CRE lending play in the financial crisis? We obviously, a housing crisis was at the center of that, but uh, where did CRE fit into uh, into that episode? Well, you think about real estate, and there are a number of linkages between residential and commercial. So there's synergies in, in between them, and so usually as one goes, so does the other. There may be some time that lapses between those movements, but generally speaking, you know, they, they kind of run together. And, and really, you know, those synergies look like, you know, Infrastructure development, I mean, we have to have pipes in the ground and streets, whether it's a residential subdivision or whether it's an office park. We have a lot of the same trades. I mean, you think about the electrical that's done in your house, same thing that's done in an office building, plumbing. So the, so the list goes on and on. Financing, certainly, uh, you know, the, the rates are, are, there's interconnection between the two. So certainly there are, you know, a lot of dynamics. Another synergy, a fun one, is that, you know, the office park that we talked about, you know, they may very well have tenants that are home builders and, and residential mortgage folks. And so if, you know, residential falls on hard times, obviously those tenant falls on hard times and then commercial real estate struggles. So, so really, you know, in, in, in my view, when the economy softened, we kind of exposed this speculation that was going on in residential. We also exposed over leverage that was taking place and had taken place in commercial real estate. And so when that over leverage came out, 
you know, you know, certainly that created problems along with using the example I talked about where we had a significant number of home builders and a significant number of firms that cater to home development, home financing. They've got commercial space. All of a sudden, residential gets very soft, and they're giving back space. So com- commercial real estate is quick to follow. And that further exposed this overleverage and the potential use of not fully transparent assumptions to, you know, value some of these buildings, et cetera. So that's kind of, you know, in a, in a nutshell, very simplistically, you know, how commercial real estate factored into, you know, some of, the, some of this dynamic. So now here at the Atlanta Fed in, in supervision, we're all about safety and soundness, right? The, the ultimate mission there is to, to try to ensure that banks uh, remain safe and sound. So where does CRE fit into that? In other words, why is this this industry, this realm, so important to the Atlanta Fed and, and really the Federal Reserve System more broadly? That's a great question, Charles. Thank you. And and really, I would take it a step back. And and so, yes, there is a huge, important emphasis right now on being a model bank supervisor and making sure that, you know, as we're going through the banks, that, you know, they're adhering to the policies that they've represented to their board and to their shareholders, that that we're doing these operations, these procedures as far as commercial real estate lending. Why is it so important? Well, right now there's $2 trillion, trillion with T, of commercial real estate loans on bank balance sheets. So a huge, huge number. Bank supervision is critical because banks are one of the primary uh, and largest providers of capital in the industry. The industry is capital intensive. You think about how much it costs to build a building. Additionally, over time, it's become more complex because we've seen groups of small banks that have decided that we're going to do a loan that we couldn't normally do ourselves, so a participation loan. And that creates, you know, a number of issues. We've also seen, you know, a transformation and some movement right now to where banks are lending money to originators, to folks who then originate CRE loans. And so, you know, that creates... A, a different complexity to the dynamic, but certainly, you know, without bank supervision, you know, there is the potential for there to be inconsistency in operations. And that, in my mind, may impact the availability of capital. And with that impact of capital, you start seeing price fluctuations, which could impact, you know, the safety and soundness of the financial system. Taking additionally on that step back, you know, I I would say, too, is that, you know, from the bank's perspective, you know, one of our mandates is full employment. And I'm, you know, I won't speak for my esteemed colleagues in research, but, but construction, which is, you know, hugely important to commercial real estate, is very significant, in my view, to the overall economy. My estimate is that the workforce in construction makes up 5 to 6% of the current workforce. Those jobs pay on average $30 an hour, which, you know, doing the simplistic math is over $60,000 a year. That's a big number. We need those jobs. And, and fortunately, in the last few years, we've seen, you know, some of the resurgence. Commercial real estate is capital intensive, as I talked about. You know, when we create those jobs, we see ancillary jobs and support jobs that spin off of those that are created by that. So certainly that is fulfilling 
our mandate of, of full employment. Other things I talk about, you know, you think about if you take a piece of land and you build a building on it, all of a sudden you've created value and that municipality now has a stream of higher real estate taxes. You've also created income taxes from the positions that are created. You, in, in the case of a strip center, retail strip center, you've created sales tax dollars. And so, you know, in, in a lot of ways, we're creating tax dollars that are then spent by the community on, you know, vital services like fire and life safety, things like that. So, you know, that is a, a big focus. And then you look at the amount of wealth in commercial real estate. And you think about how that influences, you know, folks' retirements, their investments, and and you think about, you know, the pension funds, the life insurance companies, the the publicly traded and the private REITs are all in the space. So certainly it is a big industry and, and certainly has, you know, ramifications from a monetary policy full employment standpoint also certainly has big implications from safety and soundness. Right, right. So you mentioned REIT. That's Real Estate Investment Trust. That's correct, yes. Right, okay. So, Brian, what sort of approach do financial regulators take here in trying to ensure that the lenders don't get carried away irresponsible with their uh, CRE? I mean, we don't send examiners in and say, don't make this specific loan, right? It's not that uh, intrusive, right? Well, I mean, you know, we, we need those loans, as I just talked about, right. to continue to spur economic growth. You know, there are a number of risks associated with a commercial real estate loan. If you think about it, if you're a banker, I mean, you really have to get your crystal ball out and you say, I'm going to make a decision to lend money that I don't get my money back for three, five, seven, ten years down the road. So you really have to understand not only the property, but the borrower. And so there are a number of, of risks that we try to look at as we're in these banks. You know, those risks look at credit and interest rates and strategic risks, to, to name just a few. Because, I mean, you think about the dynamics. I mean, I'll name a few. But, you know, the credit. You know, the credit piece, you know, takes into account the market effects, takes into account potentially interest rates rising, which then if the borrower goes to refinance, may impact the value of the property it also impacts their debt service if that's a growing interest rate environment. So will the borrower be able to refinance and repay that loan from the banks? Certainly near and dear to our heart. If you look at you know, interest rates, another dynamic, but not really one that you think about because you know, from a bank's perspective, I'm taking depositors' money, which I'm paying, let's just pick a number, 1%, and I'm lending it at six or seven. Well, if I've lent that money long term, again, I, and I'm in an interest rate, a, you know, an inter, a, a, a rising rate environment, that one percent may all of a sudden be four or five. And if that's the case, all of a sudden my margins compress significantly. So there's there's another interest rate risk, another side of interest rate risk to the bank that you know people may not really be quite aware of. One of the other areas that that we push pretty heavily is, you know, kind of the strategic piece. We want to make sure that the bank has the necessary knowledge and experience 
to identify, measure, and monitor and control the risks that are unique to CRE. And you think about, you know, those risks. I mean, you know, back to it. You know, has the the borrower, if it's on a retail property, thought about the Amazons of the world, which are gobbling up, you know, significant amounts of market share, and what does that do to their tenants? You know, it's a it's a it's a valid question. Right. Right. So I think you know there are a number of focuses that we're trying to, you know, talk to the bank about, gauge, you know, their competency, and certainly out of the regulation that has come into being in the last several years, you know, we've seen those competencies grow significantly, which has been great. Um, And I think that that will benefit the banking industry for years and years to come. Right. Well, Brian, uh, talking about the, the these strategic issues that the lenders need to need to keep track of, wouldn't even something like rideshare, Uber, Lyft, and so forth that's going to change maybe how many parking spaces you need. That's going to change uh, what what their their borrowers who are commercial r- developers. That's going to change their business, right? Absolutely. I mean, technology is disrupting a number of industries. Real estate has been later to feel it because real estate is kind of a lagging adopter of technology. But as you said, parking could significantly be impacted by ride sharing, could also be impacted by autonomous cars. And I, and I think there was a podcast done a couple weeks ago on that. That's right. Nice so, plug. <laughs> yeah, right on. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, that dynamic, but, but let's look on the other side. You know, you think about retail right now. Right now, the e-commerce crowd, so includes Amazon and a number of others, you know, right now, e-commerce accounts for about 9.5% of total retail sales, which is, you know, a fraction of yeah, the overall It doesn't sound pie. that big, yeah. But I'll tell you, you look at, at the dynamic, and it is decimating a number of suburban malls. And so if you are a lender in that dynamic, you've got to be concerned. You've got to be concerned if you have lent on the strip center or the standalone property, retail property, on the periphery that depends on that mall traffic because less traffic going to the mall means less traffic and less opportunities for the tenants, which then puts pressure on the borrower's ability to cover debt service. Well, also, sort of in the same vein, I think CRE, commercial real estate, tends to be really, really local, right? So uh, a certain downtown could be really hot, a lot of condos going up, let's say a lot of office buildings, while a, a suburban area just down the road may not be a lot going on. So wh- why is it? why does it tend to be like that? Well, part of it, I think, is you know, maybe the local government's view of growth. Maybe they're pro or anti-growth. But I think a lot of it has to do with preference. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the multifamily phenomena that has gone up in most of the downtowns across the United States. And, and really, there has been this kind of move more toward urbanization with the millennials. They've kind of, you know, in, in some respects been in this environment and want to stay in this environment. You know, they were in this environment during a number of their college years in some respects. Their friends are here and they want to stay here. And we've also provided and geared a bunch of services through mass transit to making more of these apartments walkable. And so I think that, you know, there has been, you know, a focus 
on that dynamic. At the same point, I think that if, if you look at the burbs, I think that maybe some of the growth and some of the movement that, that we've consistently seen downtown in the urban areas that naturally occurred from the urban areas to the suburban areas has been delayed. Whether it was too much student debt or whether it's we're building these apartments that are like the Taj Mahal and you never want to leave, I don't know exactly. There are a number of issues, I think. But, but I think eventually we'll see you know, a kind of return back to this kind of natural flow to, to the suburbs. Right. Well, Brian, we talked a little bit about Amazon and, and e-commerce more generally and how that's affecting traditional retailers. Uh, it, it's also affecting the industrial real estate sector, if, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, the e-commerce players tend to need these really spacious, really tall distribution warehouses because they have to get product out very quickly, right, to, to people all over the place. How long do we see that dynamic continuing? And I know a lot of developers, industrial developers particularly, who are very happy right now I'm sure. because of that. <laughs> but, you know, I left my crystal ball at home, so I'm not sure I have an exact answer on how long it will last. But certainly you have to kind of look at the stage right now. And, and you say that, you know, really e-commerce has picked up momentum, but really you've seen that momentum in the last five, maybe seven years. And we've really seen the push to fulfill the, the seller's capabilities over the last mile to deliver it to the consumer within the last three years or so. So really, in my view, we're kind of still in the infancy. We're, we're, we're at least in the expansionary phase. And, and why I would say that you know, one, you know, was aware in, in a number of major markets in 2012 and 2013, where there was a very significant shortage of those very, you know, million square foot, uh, high cube distribution centers. And, th- and that doesn't change overnight. I mean, it takes, uh, you know, a number of months to build, assuming you've got the permits in place, to build these facilities. And, and we see more and more firms continuing to try to jump in and, and, and establish and grow their delivery capabilities over the last mile. So my view is it's in the expansion phase. At some point, you're absolutely right. You know, it will mature and we will go through a consolidation. At that point, there probably will be a number of million square foot boxes that are in excess and we'll have to figure out something to do. Not unlike we have a number of malls right now that we're working through to figure out what we're going to do with them. So it's, it's part of real estate. I mean, real estate, it's a capital-intensive, long-life asset. And, and you go through these disruptions in the marketplace. You look at malls. I mean, the first indoor mall was built in 1956 in Minnesota. And malls in general have lived a very long life. But we are now, with technology, changing. At some point, it will be the same dynamic with these, these large industrial boxes, probably when these millions of drones can just come and drop the box off you know, right, right at our door. And, and at that point, you know, when there are millions of drones flying over our head, I'd recommend investing in, in health care because of the potential drops in these boxes. <laughs> yeah, I think our, our friends at the FAA will, will have to get involved there on some level. Uh, Brian, it, it's kind of fascinating the way 
way, just, just from our conversation today, it's pretty clear that that in commercial real estate, you're affected by all sorts of macroeconomic trends, even sociological trends where people want to live, that the, the kind of places they want to live in, uh, technological trends, how people want to buy things. I mean, it's it's interesting how all that it ultimately has some effect on commercial real estate, right? Oh, yeah, you bet. And, and yet, as you mentioned, there's also this very local component. So you've got this very you know local component, but you also have you know the national component from a financing perspective. I mean, you may have someone from overseas come in and they like your property, and because of various conditions in their home country, they may be the top bidder. And so, yes, I think that it's fascinating to see those dynamics. The social influences are, are significant as well. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating. At the same point, we know that the biggest driver of commercial real estate is job growth. And so certainly the macroeconomic picture is very important to right. commercial real estate. Right. All right. Well, Brian, thanks so much for your time. It was a, I think it was a pretty interesting discussion. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate it. All right. And thanks for listening. Uh, we have a lot more information about commercial real estate and the microeconomy more generally on our website at frbatlanta.org. And please come back next month for our next Economy Matters podcast. Thanks so much. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.